I always get nervous once the camera starts rolling. I get really camera. Yeah, there's no camera. <laughs> I know, once the once the flash once the flash hits me, I'm like, ooh, shy. Oh, she just shrinks. <laughs> well, hey, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Megan. This is an amateur's take where Megan and I talk about subjects of which we don't have the authority to educate you on, but we still do it. Today, Megan is continuing to talk about the serial killer Ed Kemper. Yes. So, what do you remember from, well, now two weeks ago about Ed Kemper? I remember him killing his grandparents. I remember his mom and her wild name, which now in this moment I'm forgetting about. Um, And then I remember, like, wanting to be a cop really badly, but not being accepted into the academy. And then I remember him killing his grandparents and then, like, going back to live with his mom. And that was, like, a very toxic situation from what people said about that. And then um, how he picked up girls in his car but didn't kill them for a while. He just, like, picked up hitchhikers probably for, like, mental practice or something. And then um, and then I remember at the very end of the episode, we were making jokes about how a lot of really smart people, a lot of very um, book-smart, intelligent people don't often have the social cues to function in some parts of the world or society. Oh my god, you remember a lot more than you said. You were like, I don't remember a lot. No, you remembered a bunch. That's like the entire episode. Yeah, that's pretty much everything. So we last left off where he would just gotten released and he got his juvenile record expunged and he had moved back in with Clarnell, the one, the yes. only. The queen. Oh, if that's what we should call her. Dictator. <laughs> She's definitely more of a dictator vibe. And she's working at USC Santa Barbara, and he just won a settlement for a car accident he was in where his arm got hurt, and he received 90K in, uh, from the settlement. So now it is May 1972. So between May of 1972 and April of 1973, Ed Kemper killed eight people. <laughs> He would pick up female students who were hitchhiking and take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, smother, and then strangle them. He would then take their bodies back to his home where he would decapitate them, perform... Ooh, I don't know what this word is, but I... Because I copy and pasted. Irumadio? Mm. Uh, so, I think that's just a fancy way of saying skull fucking. Yeah, because he says he would perform Iramato on the severed skulls, which, in my opinion, I took that as he just skull-fucked them. So I'm going to say skull-fuck because I don't know how to explain this word. So sorry if you don't like that term. It's what I'm going to use for the majority of the episode. I'm sorry. (laughs) And then after he would skull-fuck them, (laughs) um, he would have sexual intercourse with their corpses, and then he would dismember them. And I, I wasn't laughing because it was funny. I totally was, I, it's horrible these this happened to these women. But the term skull fucking, like, come on. I also think it's important to note that you and I both laugh at things that make us vastly uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> and when I'm like, if someone is so fucked up, like if someone is talking to me about something like really terrible that's happened to them, my first reaction sometimes is to laugh. Oh, yeah, and same. It's, it's gotten me into really bad scenarios where people are like, why are you laughing at that? Mid-laugh, I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is just my visceral reaction to my discomfort right now. I don't think this is funny. I just find this 
uncomfortable. The best is really when we're in a bar and I'm telling you a story that makes us both uncomfortable and people around us hear the story and us laughing about it. Tears and we must coming look like out of our either, eyes. Like, we must look like insanely rude, like mean people. Like, I, like, or just like create like, oh, I feel so bad for people that don't understand what's happening. So during his 11th month murder spree, he killed five college students, one uh, high school student, his mother, and his mother's best friend. Kemper has stated in interviews that he would often go out and search for victims after having arguments with his mom, um, and that she would refuse to introduce him to women attending the college that she worked at, um, and he recalled that she would say, um, you're just like your father, you don't deserve to get to know them. Um, psychiatrists and Kemper himself have espoused the belief that the young women were surrogates for uh, his ultimate target, his mother. Which, like... Super deep seated mommy issues there. So his his main goal ultimately was to kill his mother. Yeah. So all the it's they've uh, he thinks that the reason he killed all those women before is like he was they were surrogates for his mom because every time he would go out and murder someone it was always after an argument with his mother. True. Yeah. So now we're gonna talk about the, his two first victims, um, Mary Ann uh, Pisquet and Anita Luncheza. Luncheza. I'm sorry, I don't know how to say her last name. Um, so, on May 7th, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley when he picked up two 18-year-old hikers from Fresno State. After driving for a few hours, he managed to reach for sec- reach a secluded wooded area near Almeda, with which he was familiar with for working with the highway department, without alerting his passengers that he had changed direction to where they wanted to go. Um, here, he handcuffed both the girls and locked one of them in the trunk. He then stabbed and strangled Pisquet to death before killing Lucchese in a similar manner. Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pesquet, he, quote, bruised the back of his hand against one of her breasts. Oh, sorry, brushed, not bruised. He brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts, and it embarrassed him, end quote. Adding that he said, quote, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after gracing her breast, despite murdering her minutes later. Right. So, yeah. So, he has this poor, poor 18 year old girl in his car after he had just murdered her best friend, or I'm not saying best friend, one of her friends, and he just grazed her boob, just grazed it. But then he, he got really shy afterwards. Yeah, he like he said he was so embarrassed and he apologized and then murdered her right afterwards. Which to me just shows a level of just like sexual immaturity and his like, total and complete like inability to talk to the opposite sex. Because also we have to remember he grew up in like a psychic ward. Like he was in a psych ward for like, what, 10 years, 9 years? Like after killing his grandparents? Like... He was in there for a long time, and I imagine there weren't that many young ladies he got to socialize with. <laughs> Kemper put both the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by the police officer for having a broken taillight. The officer didn't detect the two corpses this man had in his car. Just let that sink in for a second. So they were in the trunk, right? Mm-hmm. He got stopped because he had a, he had a busted taillight. And the officer didn't check, but this guy had two corpses in his trunk. Well, I guess how would you know if he had corpses in his trunk? I know, but just like, ah! Also, I foresee, just based off of how you have described him to me and other serial killers, that he probably is, he's probably really, doesn't show any bit of, like, nervousness or 
discomfort or you know as we remember the cops called him big ed like he was their friends like even despite having not gone into the police academy he was still their friend so he had this level with them that this cop probably knew him Ugh. okay so kemper's roommate was not at home so he took the bodies into his apartment where he took photographs of them and then had sexual intercourse with a naked corpse before dismembering them this time there was no skull fucking okay so that was i was gonna ask you that earlier so he did he had sex with the bodies after they were killed most of the time with the, yes. with the victims yeah he's necrophiliac so he always has sex with the bodies i don't think he always skull fucked them though but he always did have sex like he always did have sex with the bodies and then he did dismember them interesting okay because when when you said when you um were mentioning the time that he brushed that girl's breast and got embarrassed i don't know them off the top of my head but i know of a few serial killers who never did anything sexual with the victims because i feel like killing wasn't a sexual thing for them maybe you know and also it reminds me of this book that i read when i was in high school which was based on a true story about this guy in london who was like obsessed with this girl and eventually he kidnapped her and put her in his basement and he had just won the lottery so he had all this money to him so he didn't have to work or anything and so he she lived in the basement she was an artist that went to like one of the art schools out there and um he like bought her all this art supplies he bought her anything that she wanted like any designer clothes food whatever but like he wouldn't let her leave it got to the point where she tried to have sex with him because i think that who knows why like i don't know why and he wouldn't have sex with her and he was like you're a fucking whore i don't even love you anymore because you want to have sex with me she tried to escape a few times and he tried to kill her but didn't succeed but Anyway, that just reminds me that I feel like for some people, killing is a very sexual driven thing. And for other people, it's just like, it's like an urge or or a power thing that's not even sexually driven. Well, I know that, uh, so Ted Bundy was a necrophile. uh, Ed Kemper was a necrophile. Uh, I know that... Dahmer was as well, right? No, Dahmer... Dahmer was, but his thing wasn't, he didn't enjoy the act of killing. So like Ted Bundy and Ed Kemper, like that, they... They, like, receive, like, some sexual... From my understanding, they receive some sexual pleasure from the act of killing. Dahmer didn't. Dahmer didn't want to kill anyone. He wanted to have, like, a human sex doll. He wanted someone that was in a vegetated state that he could have sex with that didn't have any needs. It's really weird. It's genuinely just, like, a deep-seated, like, loneliness, I think. Dahmer was just a very lonely person that didn't know how to relate to another person but still wanted to have that relationship but only in a way that he could comprehend. But yeah, his whole thing with the whoops, I'm sorry. I feel like he, because it was weird. I feel like after he kills them and then the way he has sex with them, that's more of like, that's not a sex. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Okay. Anyway, back to this. So he then took the body parts, put them into plastic bags, which he then later abandoned near the Loma Pareta Mountains. Before disposing of Pesque and Lucheza's severed heads in a ravine, Kemper engaged, oh, he did skull fuck them, engaged in skull fucking both of them. And then toss him into a ravine. Oh, so he waited. Okay, so this is what happened. So he took them to his apartment. Um, he dismembered them, had sex. Oh, no, he had sex with the corpses, then dismembered them, just took the body and threw them in one part, and then kept the heads, and then skull-fucked them, and then dismembered them in another part of California. I wonder if I did him any favors for, for the longevity of people trying to find who he was um well they 
So, in August, Pisgah's uh, skull was found on the Loma Prede Mountains, and an extensive search failed to turn up any rest of the remains of Pesquet's body or a single trace of Luchez's. So, he did a pretty good job. Like, one girl's body was never found, and only the one girl's skull was found. So, his next victim. So, on the evening of December 14th, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old girl. She was a dance student, and her name was Aiko Ko who had decided to hitchhike to a dance class after missing her bus. He again drove her to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Ko before accidentally locking himself out of his own car. <laughs> However, Ko let him back oh inside <laughs> as he had previously gained the 15-year-old's trust while holding her at gunpoint. Yeah. I think that she was just scared. Back, she was 15. Like, what are you going to do? He's like a grown-ass... He's like 6'9". He's a huge man, and he has a gun... Like, oh, poor baby girl. Anyway, um, back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious, then he raped her, and then he killed her. Kemper subsequently packed Ko's body into his trunk yet again and went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks before returning home. He went to a bar with this 15-year-old girl's body in his trunk to have, quote, a few beers before going home. You gotta unwind, you know? Well, you know, take, murdering takes a lot out of you. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened his trunk to, quote, admire his catch like a fisherman, end quote. Back at his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse before dismembering and disposing of the remains in a similar manner to his previous victims. Ko's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, but did not receive any response regarding her daughter's location or status. That's sad. I know. I feel like the, one of the things that I think about in most of these cases is these families didn't know where these people were for so long until he was caught. Like, that's one of the worst things is, like, not knowing. At least when you have, like, it's horrible when you find a bot, like, the person you love's body, but at least you have, like, an answer. I feel so bad for missing fa- missing people's families. Like, because parts of them, like, want to believe that they're still out there, but most of them knows, like, they're probably not. God, that must suck. Yeah, it's like a false hope. Yeah. But it's, ugh, it's so sad. On January 7th, 1973, Kemper, who had moved back in with his mother, was driving around the Cabrillo College campus when he picked up an 18-year-old girl named Cynthia Ann, uh, Cindy for short, Shawl. He drove to a secluded, uh, wooded area and then fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. He then placed her body yet again in his trunk and then drove to his mother's house, where he kept her body, wait for this, hidden in a closet in his room overnight. When his mother left for work the next morning, uh, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse and then removed the bullet from Shaw's corpse before dismembering, decapit- and then decapitating her in his mother's tub. Interesting. I feel like, from what you've told me, it's interesting how he doesn't really torture his victims when they're dying. He pretty much just wants them dead or unconscious so that he can have sex with them. And then I feel like the the parts after that are when he takes his time with the bodies in terms of like where like staring at them dismembering them like i feel like for the initial act of killing he doesn't torture the victims usually or at least from what you've told me which is interesting because i feel like some people really take their time with it that's like a part of the process for them you know yeah he kind of wants it over quickly so he can just get to like 
the gross like corpse the skull sex. fucking yeah yeah Yep, skull fucking and corpse sex. That's kind of what he's into, it looks corpse like. Sex. Well, that's what it is. I, I know. It's just what if what a what a phrase, what a term. Corp, corpse sex and skull fucking, Ed Kemper's two favorite things. Um, but yeah. Also imagine like trying to take a bath in that bathtub again. Never. Like he like they you did. His mother took his mother it. had to have taken baths in that bathtub, not knowing that someone oh, had just man. been murdered. She in didn't it. even know. That's just so gross to me. Ugh, anyway. Okay. So, Ed Kemper kept Shaw's severed head for several days, regularly engaging in skull fucking with it. I don't know what this word is. It's just irmatio, which I just, it sounds worse to me than skull fucking because it sounds like an anime character. Before burying it in his mother's garden, facing upwards towards her bedroom. Just take a moment to sink that in. <laughs> he took the skull. He buried it in the backyard directly facing his mother's bedroom so that there's a, there's a skull just looking at her all the time. This is what I'm saying. Like, I feel like he does so many things meticulously and intentionally with the bodies after he's killed them for, like, meaning or, like, power on a certain person. Mm-hmm. Or oh, yeah. It's like some voodoo shit with these, with these skeletons. He explains why. He's he- like... He's got, like, a little, like, voodoo doll. Uh, he explained later so after his arrest he stated that he did this because quote he always wanted his mother quote always wanted people to look up at her mentally or physically like they always like mentally like you know how she wanted people to look up to her so he said after his arrest he stated that he did this because his mother quote always wanted people to look up to her okay I thought you said look up at her and I was like I was like you can't really control that that. okay I might have said that but I meant look up to her (laughs) okay so um he disregarded the rest of Shaw's body by throwing them off a cliff um, over the course of the following few weeks, all but her head and the right hand were discovered and pieced together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle. That's a quote. The pathologist determined that Shaw had been cut into pieces with a power saw. Also, can we talk about the fir- like, so he killed two girls at once, then he killed one girl, one girl, and now he's going to kill two other girls at the same time. Also, these are all, so, one... He did about three a year, like three in 72. And so this one was on January 7th, 1973. Less than a month later, on February 5th, 1973, that escalation, like, because the first one of these girls was May 7th, 1972. And then the next one wasn't until September 4th, 1972. That's like months. Now he's like barely waiting a month to kill people. So there's like a definite escalation. So, February 5th, 1973, after a heated argument with his mom, Kemper left his house in search of a possible victims. Um, with heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area, students were advised to only accept rides from cars with university stickers on them. What yeah. fucking difference will that make? Also, if they put that out in the news, guess who's going to put a fucking... Okay, that's so stupid. Well... Kemper had such a sticker on his car because his mother worked at the University of California, that Santa Cruz. That is really the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, what mm-hmm. difference will that make? Also, I'm sorry, but they're killing people in Santa Cruz, mainly college students. Why would they not have that sticker? It obviously shows they have something to do with the university or university life. Like, 
obviously the killer can read that too it's public information like okay that's yeah stupid. it makes no sense and it obviously didn't help because when he encountered 23 year old rosalind heather through and 20 year old alice helen louis oh lou according to kemper through entered his car first who reassured lao it was okay to enter because you know he had the sticker he then fatally shot Troop and Lau um, with his 22 caliber pistol and then wrapped their bodies in blankets. Kemper again brought his victims back to his mother's house. This time, he beheaded them in his car, carried the headless corpses into his mother's home to have sexual intercourse with them. He then dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets from them to prevent identification, and then the next morning discarded of their remains. Some remains were found in the Eden Canyon a week later, and then more were found near Highway 1 in March of that same year. When questioned in an interview as to why he decapitated his victims, he explained, quote, The head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy, you know? The head is where everything is. The brain, eyes, mouth, that is the person. And I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. End quote. So. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, it's just not true. It's still very exciting without the head. Mm Mm-hmm. But he likes it because that's where everything is. He says that's, he literally said, quote, that's where everything is. The head, the brain, the eyes. Or the brain, the eyes, the mouth. That's the person. I think it has something to do with the power of, like, being in total control over a person. Because that's where everything is. And then if he does that to that, then, like, you know, that's a level of control. They can't fight back. But it's still all of them. I don't know. He's weird. He's fucked. True. Yeah. <sighs> he's, he's really silly. <laughs> okay. Now to his final two victims. On April 20th, 1973... After coming home from a party, 52-year-old Clarnell Elizabeth Stanberg awakened her son with her arrival. While sitting in her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter her room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Kemper replied, no, good night. Then he waited for her to fall asleep, returning to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a knife. He subsequently decapitated her and engaged in skull-fucking her severed head before using it as a dartboard. Kemper stated that he, quote, put her head on the shelf and screamed at it for an hour and threw darts at it and ultimately smashed her head in. Oh, sorry, smashed her face in. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them both in the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. However, the garbage disposal did not break down the tough vocal cords and ejected the tissue back into the sink. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Quote, that seemed appropriate, unquote, Kemper said later. Quote, as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the years, end quote. That reminds me of the, the story about him putting the cat on the wall after he killed it. Although this is like escalated obviously and also if you're gonna skull fuck all your victims like do it do it to everyone but don't do your fucking mom like that's disgusting it's 
so gross. But it's genuinely because it's not like a sexual thing to him. It's just a pure power thing. It was a way to embarrass her. It was an ultimate way to embarrass her, which is just. And then, like, the whole thing where he took out her tongue and vocal cords because it literally had to do with, like, her yelling at him over the years. Like, he does, he is, he is so pointed with everything he does, and he does it so, like, with such purpose. It's insane. And he's also so aware of it, too. Like, these are quotes of his, of him knowing what he was doing, and him just being completely aware of, like, his actions and why he's doing them. Yet he still does them. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, so Kemper then hid his mother's corpse in a closet, went out, and then went out to drink at a nearby bar. Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, uh, nicknamed Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. When Hallett arrived, Kemper strangled her to death to create a cover story that his mother and Hallett had gone away together on vacation. He subsequently put Hallett's corpse in a closet obscured any outward signs of disturbance and left a note to the police it read quote approximately 5 15 a.m saturday no need for her to suffer any more at the hands of this horrible murderous butcher it was quick asleep the way i wanted it not sloppy and incomplete gents just a lack of time i got things to do Afterwards, Kemper fled the scene and drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to stay awake on, on the over a thousand mile journey. He had three guns and a hundred rounds of ammunition in his car and believed he was the target of an, of an active manhunt. After not hearing any news on the radio about the murder of his mother and Hallett, when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a, a phone booth and called the police. He confessed the murder of Hallett and his mother, but the police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back at a later time. He called the police, he confessed to a murder, and they're like, nah, call back later, dude. That's funny. Good joke, big head. So, several hours later, Kemper called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He confessed to the officer that he killed his mother and Hallett and then waited for the police to arrive and take him into custody, where he also confessed to the murder of the six students. When asked in a later interview why he turned himself in, Kemper said, quote, The original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at that point, near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said, hell with it, and called it all off. End quote. Which is, to be honest, the way they captured him for these murders is very similar to how he was captured for his grandparents' murders. He literally just called the police and confessed, and he just waited for them to show up. Also, he was like, there wasn't any surface, like, it wasn't serving any purpose anymore, which just showed that, like, he killed his mom, like, what? Like, I'm good. Like, that was all I wanted to do. He was then tried on the eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7th, 1973. He was assigned a public defender, um, but due to uh, Kemper's explicit and detailed confession, his counsel's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity to Kemper's charges. Um, Kemper twice tried to commit suicide in custody, and his trial uh, went at, but his trial went ahead on October 23rd, 1973. Um, he had three different court-appointed psychiatrists. That, and all of them found Kemper to be legally sane. One of the psychiatrists, Dr. Joel Fort, investigated his juvenile records and diagnosed that he was what he had was once psychotic, but not anymore. 
so he tried to like plead insanity didn't work and then he um on november 8th 1973 a six man and six woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring kemper sane and guilty on all counts and he asked for the he asked for the death penalty requesting death by torture oh my god however what the hell yeah however with a moratorium placed on capital punishment by the supreme court of california at the time he was he received seven years to uh to life for each count which these termed to be uh severed concurrent served concurrently and was stated by the california medical facility and was sentenced to the california medical facility so he wasn't sentenced to a prison he was in a mental facility so in the california medical facility he was incarcerated at in the same prison block as other notorious criminals such as herbert mullins and charles manson wow right manson and kemper hanging out um kemper showed particular disdain for mullen who committed his murders in the sa- around the same time and in the same area as kemper he described mullen as a just a cold-blooded killer killing everybody he saw for no good reason kemper's better than him you know he had more he had a reason to kill people um he remains among the general population in the prison and is considered a model prisoner he was uh charged with scheduling other inmates appointments with psychiatrists and is an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups yep he's also prolific for reading books on tape to the blind A 1987 Los Angeles Times article stated that he was the coordinator for the prison's program and had personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books for several hundred completed recordings in his name. He has retired from that position in 2015 after he experienced a stroke and was declared medically disabled. He received his first rule violation report uh, in 2016 for failing to provide a urine sample. Isn't that great? (laughs) So who knows? What a transition to go from... He makes cups and he makes ceramic cups and reads books to the blind on tape in prison. Like, what? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> He's conducted many interviews while in prison, as well as um, helped the FBI profile John Douglas uh, come up with different serial killer profilings, this of which you can see shown on Mindhunter. He's a very big character on Mindhunter. The actor who plays Ed Kemper on Mindhunter is insane he's so good he gets his cadence perfectly if there's one thing i know it's this a mother should not scorn her own son if a woman humiliates her little boy he will become hostile and violent and debased period And Kemper is probably one of the most forthcoming serial killers. He has talked about, like, his motives for killing, why he killed, in grave detail. And he still, he, until probably, until now, I don't know if he's still de- alive or not, but... I think he's still so alive. So this is crazy. I'm pretty sure he's still alive, but he also suffered a stroke, so he is medically disabled, so he probably doesn't have, like, the ability to give interviews as often as he once did. True. So, fun fact, Kemper was first eligible for parole in 1979. He was denied parole that year, as well as parole hearings in 1980, 81, and 82. Um, He subsequently waived his right to a hearing in 1985 and then was denied parole in his 1988 hearing, where he said, quote, society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that, end quote. He's been denied parole ever since, and his next parole eligibility will be in 2024. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer. So what do you think? (laughs) 
like I had mentioned before, like I didn't know that much about him before you told me about him. And very, very fascinating how he is very, um, how should I phrase it? He's very self-aware of his actions and his intentions and like motives to kill. I feel like perhaps more than some other serial killers that I have researched and I don't know. I think that I want to watch that Mindhunter episode now because... They use, like, actual quotes from Kemper, too, I believe. Like, there's, like... like the, Some of the quotes I said are, like, he says in the show. It's crazy. He's a very good actor, that man. And he gets, like... So Kemper talks in, like, a very... He talks like a cop where it's very matter-of-fact. This is what I did. This is how I did it. And the guy who plays him, like, he said he studied, like, interviews with Kemper and they would just, like, repeat things he said to get the cadence back. Because it's... It's fucking impressive. But yeah. Which is fascinating because, like, Bundy was a psychology person. So when they were talking to him, he was talking in, like, third person. And mm-hmm. he was very vague about everything. Somebody who would feel inclined to do this might do it for these reasons, which is interesting. People's school of thought and their background and stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. It's just, I just think it's very interesting the diff- the ways in which serial killers own up to, like, to their killings. Because Bundy, he would only talk about them in third person where he could just associate with them, which was interesting, and then he would psychoanalyze himself in the third person. But Kemper would psychoanalyze himself just as himself, which I think is interesting. They both had that, like, weird thing of trying to, like, prove that they knew everything about themselves, and it's, like... It's interesting. And Kemper did it under, like, this false guise of wanting to help the FBI because he always wanted to be, like, a cop. He always wanted to be, like, that type of person. And I feel like this is his way of getting to be that, is, like, being interviewed by them and giving them this, like, inside look into the killer's mind, you know? It gives them, like, this sense of, like, superiority, I guess, over other serial killers. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just narcissism in all different forms. When you look at serial killers. uh, He's just, he's so interesting. And also, I'm sorry I said skull fucking so much, guys, but iramato or whatever that word is, it's just hard. It's hard to say, and it doesn't flow. Skull fucking does. So next week, Sarah's going to be talking to us about, I don't even know. Does she know? Who knows? I do, I do know. (laughs) It's Grimes and Elon Musk next week. Yes, I forgot about this. <laughs> it's a completely different vibe than the last three weeks. Um, it's not going to be about crime unless I find some undiscovered content about the two of them, which <laughs> I don't think I will. But if you think they're interesting like I do, um, maybe you'll find it interesting how two of the strangest and smartest people in the world have created a human together, let alone even them as a couple just dating, I think, was a little bit mind-blowing for me, and just picturing them in the same room um, is like, I picture like smoke, and like it's just, I don't know, that's just Smoking. what I see I just see like, space and rockets I'm so excited for this, this is gonna be a lovely breather from the murderous last couple episodes we've done Tune in next week, thanks for listening We're going to talk about robots next week. Okay, bye. Bye.